Hey everyone, my name is Abraxas. I'm a strategist, thought leader, and creative. And you're listening to the third week of IWC Shethousand's weekly Clubhouse podcast series, Creators Time. IWC are a luxury watch brand from Switzerland who have decided to partner with me for this amazing six-part series. This week, we're talking about fame, listening to your inner voice, and finding your purpose with writer, producer, director, and author, Justine Bateman. A reminder that all thoughts and opinions are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect IWCs. And with that being said, I've got to welcome our brilliant, brilliant guest for our third week, Justine Bateman. How are you doing? It's been way too long. Hi. I have uh, some questions and I'm going to throw some questions your way and we're going to kind of talk about some of the stuff that you've been doing, some of the stuff you've done and just have some fun. Let me do like a a little tiny intro on me just in case people like are like, who is she? So my name's Justine Payman and uh, I'm a filmmaker and an author. Um, I started uh, in the entertainment business when I was 16 years old as an actor and had a lot of success there. And then I transitioned professionally um, to a, a writer producer and then later to, as a director. And uh, that was about 2007 when that started. And I also went to uh, college in there as a freshman uh, at 46 and got a computer science degree. And yeah, and right now I have a couple books out in a film. And uh, um, so that's me. I'm a filmmaker and an author. I'm 55, live in L.A., and yeah. Hell yes, which is good because I had an introduction, but I'm glad you could get that uh, thrown some some things that I that I wasn't ready to throw in yet. <laughs> All right. I've got some quick questions for you. Just quick fire round, warm up, warm up, warm up the vocal cords so we can get ready to to really dig into this. So five questions here for you. First one, do you prefer group hangouts or one on ones? Are you somebody that likes to kind of get into it with one person or do you like it when you've got a, a crew and you get to kind of hang out and do things together? Huh. I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've ever pondered that question. It really depends. I mean, if I have a lot to say to somebody one-on-one, but God, if I had to pick one or the other, I guess a group because there's more variety, you know, (laughs) and you can always have a one-on-one within a group. Um, Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I guess if I had to pick one or the other, I guess I'd pick group. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. I think I would go group as well. I think I'll go group as well. All right. Second question. One has to go. One has to go. It's being, it's, it's illegal from now on. One has to go. All right. Here we go. FaceTime or texting? One has to go. Which one are you getting rid of? FaceTime. No way. Why? Especially now after 2020 and the Zoom apocalypse. It's like, I'd rather like this talk like this or be on the phone or see someone in person when i'm when i'm on a zoom call with someone or a facetime call with someone i find that they're not so much reacting to me and the you know and the interaction between us they're more so reacting to themselves as if they're on the phone with me while they're talking to a while they're facing a mirror you know i i'm just i'm not really i'm not into watching somebody watch themselves 
No, I get it. I get it. I get it. And I think I am guilty of going on FaceTime and then kind of maybe adjusting my hair a little bit or <laughs> using it as a mirror. So <laughs> we're all guilty. All right. Last question. Last question. Does pineapple go on pizza? Yes or no? Uh, I know that it's something that people enjoy. So I don't want to say no. I've personally never had, I've never eaten pizza with, uh, with pineapple on it. So I don't want to poo-poo something I haven't tried and that means something, you know, deeply means something to other people. <laughs> All right. We have the amazing Justine Bateman with us. Um, that was a quick warm up round. We're going to dig into some questions and really get into it. So, Justine, from my point of view, I kind of sit on the outskirts and have been a consumer of everything Hollywood from probably like my, my birth, right? Um, I didn't really give it a name when I was younger, but I just knew that, you know, there were certain people that were on TV and that was it, right? And, you know, and then I learned more about the industry and Hollywood and acting and so on and so forth. With everything the way it is today, what does the word fame mean to you? And do you think it has a slightly different meaning today? Um, yeah, so I wrote a book called Fame, The Hijacking of Reality. It's about the life cycle of fame. And, and um, I know Braxis knows about this, but for anyone else, you know, you might find it interesting. It's really a sociological look at fame because I thought, well, this is a very, this is a, I started thinking a few years ago about, because I had a lot of fame in my late teens through, started then, and then it went through my, I would say, early 30s. Um, and I was like, well, what is this ephemeral element that is, or this quality, no, not quality, like this element that's like, in a suddenly appears in a room when somebody famous is there, like it changes the temperature of the room, it changes everybody's behavior. It's, and you can see it come over like a wave almost and sort of in, infect people. It's, I, so I started, um, exploring that. And anyway, I think, I think there's a lot of different kinds, you know, there's, there's that, you know, if Brad Pitt's in the room, like the temperature changes, the whole, everybody stops behaving however they were behaving, you know, before that moment and the behavior shifts to something else. Um, and they almost can't help themselves. And then there's this other sort of notorious fame or not notorious, but like just notoriety, just attention just where it's not necessarily oftentimes not not at all for some skill set you've got or something you've kind of delivered to society and yes of course we have a lot more of that now because of social media because it's uh, it really democratized the aspiration or or a goal of getting fame it democratized that task of trying to achieve notice Anyway, yeah, so I do think it's something different now because of those two things. It used to be just more so for like a skill and talent you have. And people say like, oh, that's because there were gatekeepers and there aren't as many now. So more people's work gets out there. It's like, kind of, but it's sort of like going from, you know, um, uh, having your material in a store because there's been a, a really good buyer who, who's very discerning and picks and chooses things. Going from that to like Costco slash thrift store slash I don't know what. And now it's up to you to pick through everything to find something good. Like, so yeah, I don't, you know, so anyway, long answer to your question. But yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a difference. 
and everything's a lot more crowded now. It's hard to get a focused audience on anything now because there's so much to choose from. Yeah, I truly understand that sentiment. Yeah, it is different now. It is for better or for worse. It is definitely different now. Uh, I agree with you there. So another question around fame and, and, and Hollywood then. Seeing that, you know, this, this these changes are happening and it seems to be, as you said, there are less gatekeepers and all these other things that have kind of changed this sort of format. What was it like growing up in Hollywood then? In an era where Hollywood was like Hollywood, you know what I mean? Like without me, <laughs> without I'm trying to think of a way to say it, but when it was like, oh my God, like Hollywood, like what was it like growing up in that era? Hollywood, as I know it, is really just like a place of town and the entertainment business is the film business, TV business is a business and it's kind of small ish. In other words, you know, you do something over here with this person and other people are going to know it's, it's, it's the business is like a small town. I mean, I understood very early on in my career that like your reputation in the business is everything because it spreads like, it's like a, it's like a cigarette flicked out a window on, you know, in a dry brush area. Like it's going to spread really fast because there's going to, there's a lot of money on the line and a lot of people that have spent a lot of time to get a project to a particular place. And if at that point they bring you on and you flick a cigarette out the window, you know, that's a lot of work that it could potentially be destroyed or damaged, you know, as far as, shooting and everything else. So, um, so you check around, you know, you're putting a project together, you check around what, who is, you know, how, what is so-and-so like to work with you? You ask around because, you know, you don't have the budget to take the chance that they're going to be horrible. You, you can't go back and start over. You've blown half your budget by that time, by the time that becomes apparent anyway. So that's still true. So, Hollywood, the entertainment business is still true like that. And the people who really work in entertainment, with the exception of some of the people that, you know, like there's been noise about lately, are very nice, very professional, and are in it for the long run. And they're in it because they have to be in it, because there's something driving them. They can't not do it. And they would do it for free. But, you know, they need to make a living. And, and, you know, and we're very interested in making money too. But it's the kind of thing where somebody said to you, money's not, you know, a problem. You never have to make money again. What would you do? And I'd say 90% of people who work in film and TV would say, I would be doing exactly this. So that's still the same, you know. But I think, like, the, the only, like, strange situations I've ever had, and it's been, I can count them on half a hand have not been with people who I consider to be actually in the business. I've had issues with people either not in the business at all or what I call fringe players, people that are fronting like they're in the business or want to be in the business or are sort of they put their foot in, but like I know they're never going to make it because they're not this hardworking, reasonable, creative, professional type that makes it in this business which, you know, hopefully is true in many businesses. So just, Justine, with that, with that being said, um, and you're talking about hard work um, in, that, in that business, what does hard work look like and sound like when you're in Hollywood? What is it, what is it, what's required 
of an actor or a screenwriter or anybody who's in that field. You know, you, you talk about your reputation being, you know, very key in this, but what would separate somebody, because there's going to be beautiful actors and actresses and people who have gr- you know, great speaking skills, so on and so forth. But what is the X factor for some of these people? What is hard work? Well, I mean, it's this too can be two different, I mean, it's definitely two different things, you know, to have it. Yes, there are some great actors that just never really, um, that never become well known. But to me, I, I think then we get down to like, what is the definition of success? I mean, to me, if you're doing what you wanted to do, um, that's success. Now, whatever the results are, is if somebody thinks they've, quote, failed at something, to me, that just means that your assumption of what the outcome was going to be did not match what that outcome was supposed to be. So the, the whole situation is a success. To me, the only failure, quote, unquote, is not moving, not going forward in an opportunity that has been put in front of you, which, and we can talk more about that when we talk about Violet, but there's so many times, relationships, work situations, anything where it's like, oh, my God, I really want to do this. Oh, shit, I really want to do this. Or someone who invites you on a trip or something. And, oh, my God, I really want to do this. But your fear keeps you from doing it. To me, in my life, that's a failure. But as far as an outcome goes, like, oh, how many books did you sell? Or how much did your film make? Or, you know, did you, did you win that part or not? The failure would be like for an actor not going to an audition they really want to go to. But, you know, there's a place for, you know, if somebody's like, God, I really feel like this is where I'm supposed to be as an actor, to, to be an actor, but I don't think I really have an X factor or anything. That's fine because there's, there's plenty of actors that don't, that are very good, that are very talented. And, you know, and then there's, there's other things you can do that, you know, whether you have that or not is like, know your lines, show up on time, be polite to people on the set. Um, except when you don't, when things don't go the way you think they're supposed to, um, you can be, you can have a very long career, you know, I mean, what happens today is not what's going to continue happening necessarily. Like if you feel like you're not getting any roles or something, be open to other directions that your career may go. I mean, I acted for so many years and suddenly that door just kind of shut and that was really confusing. (laughs) And, um, but at the same time, before that door shut, uh, a big door opened for me for writing and producing and then later for directing. And I just, I found that just confusing because I was like, but acting is what I've always done. And anyway, it took me a while to like accept what had happened. We're going to, we're going di- to, we're going to dig into, we're definitely going to dig into that because that kind of touches on the subject of change and purpose and what I saw in your your director debut Violet um, which was absolutely incredible but I've got one more question for you and then we're going to slowly but surely start to open up this room to allow people from the audience to get up on stage and ask some questions so if you could right um, we've all heard of Hollywood and some people call it Hollywood and all sorts of stuff along those lines right and especially for young actors in my humble opinion, I've, you know, I've kind of watched what can happen to some young actors and actresses as they go through Hollywood, and some of them don't really come out the same. Justine, you've managed to do it all, from go back to school to get a degree in computer science, to writing multiple books, to being a director, all while 
in my humble opinion, keeping your sanity in check, right? <laughs> um, I laugh when I say that, but in all, in all honesty, there has been so much around mental health in Hollywood and the music industry, so on and so forth. Do you have any advice for anybody who has a younger sibling or somebody in their family, a loved one who is maybe pursuing acting and they are very young? Is there anything you would tell them that they should do, they should know, or they should understand before getting into that business? First of all, if somebody starts becoming famous, it's a different experience for everybody. It's very hard to tell them um, what they should be doing or what to watch out for. You know, people say like, you know, keep a good head on your shoulders and don't forget where you come from and all that kind of thing. That doesn't mean anything to me. You're going, if, if you become well known, like you're, bec- something's happening to your reality. So you can't pretend it's not happening but I mean, I highly recommend getting my book and reading about it's, you know, there are certain things that make up our, our reality, you know, where we live, our gender, your family members, all of this. And when any of these things change, family member dies or you have to move or, I mean, that's like, or, you know, you lose your job, you have to change jobs or this is, these are big changes. Like sometimes it's a, a difficult thing to adjust to. So in that same sense, when fame comes into somebody's life and becomes like sort of foundational, right? It becomes like this part of their reality. When it comes in, that's a weird adjustment. When it starts leaving, that's a weird adjustment. I think bottom line, don't take what people say personally. Um, it's a business and it's, it's, it's easier when you're a writer, director, producer or something because you're talking about a particular product. When you're an actor, actor, you're talking about yourself. So try to get some separation between you and your work, you and your talent, you and, do you get what I'm saying? So somebody like, you're not right for this part. It's not you, you know, Julie Smith. It's not like you're a bad person and we don't want you to play on our team. It's all these components that you bring to work is not an ingredient we want in this particular recipe. I like that. Well, good advice to any young young actor. I've got one more one more question for you, Justine, before we really open up this floor and get other people up on stage from the audience to throw some questions your way. So the last question I have for you is, I just had the pleasure of watching Violet. Right? Uh, and, if, and if you don't know, Violet is Justine's uh, director debut. It is an absolutely beautiful story. Um, and one thing that I've taken away from this is this idea of your inner voice and also being at flow. And these, maybe these two things can become combatants in anybody's life, right? So when did this idea of the inner voice and being more free and taking risks, because this story is is so human. Um, that was the one thing I came away with. You know, once I'd finished watching, I kind of sat there and was like, wow, like this is such a human story. When did the idea of, you know, being at ease with yourself and listening to your inner voice and having control of your thought, when did that sort of, come to you because it doesn't seem like something that everybody's born with you know it seems that it's something that you have to learn through trial and error so at what point in your life and what era of your life did this become true to you Abraxas I hope you do like many more interviews because you're so good with the questions okay so this film Violet stars Olivia Munn and Justin Theroux and Luke Bracey and it's about the negative thoughts we have in the film I call it The Voice that causes us to make fear-based decisions And I feel that the more fear-based decisions we make, the further away we get from being our true selves. So as a kid, I was, I was already making fear-based decisions all over the place. Um, And I would look at people that seemed free 
like watch a movie that like um, where somebody was like behaving freely and, you know, um, sort of instinct based and, you know, I don't know, Marlon Brando or James Coburn. I mean, a lot of guys where I was like, oh, I wish I could be, I, I wish I was like that. I wish I was that kind of person. Um, and I, I did kind of assume you had to be born that way or, or, or not. Or, um, I mean, I felt like I, that was in me, but I, I didn't know how to tap into it anyway. And then as I got older, you know, still doing that, making these fear-based decisions and, um, and, you know, you know, still watching, you know, people that seemed really free musicians, actor, you know, some actors, um, uh, and reading biographies of people that, that seemed, you know, like really free spirited, like Tallulah Bankhead and people like this. And, um, and it wasn't until I was in my, I would say late teen, early twenties, late teens, early twenties, where I met people that I met a couple of people that were like, Oh yeah, I used to be like you. And I was like, wait, what? Like there's a bridge from where, what I'm doing right now to like where, where, how you operate and live your life. So I just worked it every day because I wanted that more than anything in the world. And still, more than anything in the world, I just want to be the most myself uh, as humanly possible. And it, and it meant me really, you know, journaling and really getting to the root, my root fears and sort of embracing the opposite, doing the opposite. Like, okay, the root fear here, why did I just act like that? Or why did I want to wear that? Or why did I say that? Or, or you know, which was opposite of what my instinct is. I get to the root fear and say the root fear is like, oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to work again or whatever it is. And I go like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to pick the opposite there that I don't have to worry about that, that that's handled. And then suddenly you go like, oh, now I can say whatever I want. Now I can, now I can wear what I want. Now I can, now I don't, now I'm not, see, we, we do things to try to, or I have found in my experience that I'll do things to try to uh, provide for myself, things like that. Well, I'm, I'm wearing this particular outfit because I, and the, the root fear is like, because I'm afraid I won't work again unless I do it. It's irrational, this connection I'm making in that, my, my head. But if I'm honest to myself about my irrational fears, then I can look at it and go, okay, well, that's irrational. So I'm going to instead pick something else, which might be equally irrational, which is just, I think it's being handled and I think I'm going to be okay. Maybe that's irrational too. I don't know, but I like the result better. <laughs> I feel you. So it sounds like it's a muscle that you almost have to get used to flexing, right? You almost have to yeah, train this thing up. Well, because listen, I don't think we're born to be fearful people. So we spent a lot of time flexing that other muscle of making fear-based decisions. So yes, it means I have spent a lifetime of like turning to the left, turning to the left, turning to the left, turning to the left. Or how about this? Just take your hands right now. Anybody can do this. Take your hands and clasp them together. Intertwine your fingers and sort of clasp them together. Make a, you know, like you're going to pray or something, right? Clasp your hands together, okay? Now notice which thumb is on top. For me, it just happened to be the left thumb. Now unclasp your hands and clasp them again together, putting the other thumb on top. It feels weird, right? So weird. And go back and forth. <laughs> go back and forth for a few times. Go back and forth a few times, and it'll become more customary, right? It'll feel more comfortable the more times you do it. That's what I'm talking about. 
That is the weirdest. It sounds so weird, but I've never really concentrated on which hand I would, if I was ever to pray like that, which hand I would use. But one hand did feel very weird. So this idea of maybe training, um, that was the perfect way to do it. And if any of you didn't do that, I recommend you give that a try. One way will feel absolutely alien to you. Justine, we've got to get some more people up on stage to, to throw some questions your way. I hope you're ready. So first, I'm going to bring up Eli Green. Eli is a fabulous human being, <laughs> a commercial director, a comedy writer, and just a fantastic human. So Eli Green, um, <laughs> pleasure to have you on stage. And what question do you have for Justine? Justine, saw your movie, was amazing. I would love to know how much you consider it autobiographical. So, no, you know... I did a lot of research for, I, I, I can definitely count myself as an expert in getting from a fear-based life to an instinct-based life. So I did a lot of research for this film. You know, it's not autobiographical. It's not what went on in my life or anything like that. But a lot of the characters and situations are representational. Um, her boss, Tom Gaines, and her brother are representational of the person or people that many, many, many people have in their lives that repeat out loud the ne your own negative thoughts. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. How are we tuned into the same radio station? How is the negative thought that, that I've had since childhood is now coming out of Paul's mouth or you know, whoever, you know, whatever. You know, it's really trippy, right? And for me... What I found is the negative thoughts tend to want to do is um, is use that as a confirmation. They say, well, see, uh, I told you you were bad at math, and now this other person is saying you're bad at math. That's confirmation. That's truth. Boom. Done. End of, you know, case closed. But what I, what I highlight in the film, which is what my experience has shown me, is that, no, not only is your negative thought a lie, but so is it. So is what's coming out of that person's mouth. Eli, thank you for your question. Justine, thank you for your response. Um, definitely autobiographical for me, even though the main character is female. A lot of those struggles are universal and I cannot wait for Violet to be available to be seen in the UK. <laughs> but we'll move on quickly here. All right, up next we have, um, uh, I want to say Ro Roshank. And if I've mispronounced your name, I do apologize. Um, what question do you have for Justine? Hi, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm Dr. Roshanak Hashimun. How did you, or how do you, or what, in what ways can you recommend, or what is your experience as you move from fear into instinct? What were some of the variables or the prompts that could keep you out of one and into the other and bring you back when you fell out? You know, everything I've said in the film and everything I've said in the press about, you know, um, you know, transitioning, crossing that bridge from one to the other. And the film serves hopefully as a map to that bridge. It's a lot easier to do all this. If you have a faith in something, whether, whatever it is for you, the sun, God, uh, a higher power, um, uh, the universe, or just the idea that things are going to work out. Okay. That makes it a lot easier because then you're like, oh, no, it's okay. I'm going to be taken care of because I choose to believe, you know, someone can say this to themselves. I choose to believe that there is whatever it is for you and energy, the universe, whatever that is, that's looking out for me. 
And who knows if any of that's real? Who knows if God or, the you know, any of this higher power, anything, who knows? But I just say, as an experiment, when you pretend it's real, do you like the result? If you like the result, keep pretending. Because that other way you're pretending is probably a result you don't like. And is that more real than pretending the opposite? And I'm not saying tell yourself you're great, tell yourself you're great. You can do that, but in my experience, it's, it's, it's easier when you also have what I've just mentioned, like a faith in something that's got your back, whatever it is. And if you're just pretending, it's fine. Look at the result. Do you like the result? Up next on stage. Patrick Kearns, who is an R&B soul music artist hailing from the UK. So Patrick, what question do you have for Justine? No, thank you so much, Abraxas and Justine. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you right now and to ask a question. So, um, you know, obviously, like Abraxas said, I'm a musician, you know, I'm a music artist, but I feel forefront. I'm a creative at heart and I know you're a creative as well. So I definitely want to ask a question that sort of picked your creative brain and stuff. So imagine it's 2,500, you know, and someone wants to remake your movies and obviously, you know, keep it in the same way that they've been made and everything. But they obviously we're in a time that, you know, the, the limits that we have now have just been pushed tremendously and stuff. So my question is, if someone could watch or experience your movie, what would be one cool or innovative way that someone could experience your film? I designed the film to be uh, an immersive experience. So uh, there's a lot of visual elements and audio elements that are kind of all around you and under you and under your skin. And um, I, I really created like a collage um, so that it would be you know, I keep saying the, the most important character in the film is the viewer. So I made it, I designed it so that it hopefully is like a car you get into or a coat you put on. So I guess to answer your question then, would it would be that you separate out all those elements and you're in a room and you have the, so you have the voice, there's handwriting on the screen. I mean, if you separate all those elements then, so you're not just looking at them on a screen, but they're around you in the room somehow. Like you keep, you know, like people keep putting a piece of paper in front of you that shows what sort of the writing is, or, you know, the voice is like in your, uh, you know, you've got headphones on the voice, which is the negative thoughts uh, that Justin Thoreau does is kind of in you, in your thoughts. I guess just splitting out the pieces that are already in there. All right. Last question is going to be from just a brilliant overall human being. Alan Holst. I hope you're doing well. What question do you have for Justine? Justine, I like what you say about fear, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I, I have an observation on it, and I'm curious to know what you think. I think fear in the micro is much more dangerous than fear in the macro. So, for example, if I'm going to cross the street, I should be af afraid of the danger a car can do to me. If I'm going to invest, I should be afraid of a poor investment or what someone else tells me. But if I'm a musician and I stick to a very strict uh, script, uh, you know, the, the cookie cutter, my, uh, my uh, productions may not be as extraordinary. And as examples, I think, you know, I, when I used to play music, I used to enjoy Bach extremely because he stayed within exact measures and exact harmonies. But as I became more mature, I began to enjoy 
people who took greater liberties within boxes, you know, uh, like Beethoven, for example, when I thought about him that way, I enjoyed his music much more. Does this idea make any sense to you? And what do you think of it? Well, the distinction I always make is there's there's difference between irrational fear and real fear. Irrational fear is, you know, if I wear this shirt to the party, no one's going to talk to me. And then therefore, I will become destitute, and then I will die. So you change your shirt. Uh, real fear is uh, there's a lion in front of me and I could be killed. I should make other arrangements. Um, we are all a result evolutionarily of people who had enough real fear to not die before they procreated. So, yeah, that's that's the distinction between a real fear and an irrational fear. And what I... Uh, expressed earlier was that our system, unfortunately, I found doesn't know the difference between the two. So it's up to my rational mind after I've exposed my irrational fear to make that distinction, but not before, you know, not judge it or edit it before I'm able to express it. In my experience, that's, that's the key there. Alan, brilliant question, by the way, and I like the way you pieced it together. Justine, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here. You should give Fame a read. It's a brilliant book. Uh, Justine is the author. And Face, also, another amazing book by Justine. And Justine has just brought out her first director debut, uh, an incredible movie called Violet, which I just had the pleasure of seeing. For all of you out there, please go and check it out. Justine, thank you so much. And once again, thank you to everybody who's joined us. My name is Abraxas. I'm a strategist, thought leader, and creative. And you have just been listening to the third week of IWC Chefhausen's weekly clubhouse slash podcast series, Creators Time. We cannot wait to see you all next week with a new guest and some amazing conversations to come. Thanks, Abraxas, and thanks, IWC. This is great.